This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's 2023, a new year and a chance for you lot to try something new. And if getting closer to nature and connecting with the natural world is on your list, then there's something I think you'll need. A pair of binoculars are essential for any nature nerd's day out to make sure you don't miss anything. And Leica's range of kit is, insert chef's kiss right here. Not only are they durable, lightweight, with a great range of optics, and come with a potential finance plan, but they are dead easy to use. To read more about what Leica have to offer for sport optics, visit their website, which is linked in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks for coming back and clicking play on a pod. Nerds, how you doing? Welcome to a brand new week, another episode of Into the Wild. How are you all doing? It's been, um, it's been alright, isn't it? <laughs> I hope you're all, like we're nearly at the end of Jan now. Actually no, when's this episode come out? We might be in Feb. I'm recording towards the end of Jan. Um, so I hope... We're well into the year now and cracking on. Spring is on its way. When that sun is out, it feels nice and warm. Can't wait for the flowers to start coming out, the bugs. Oh my God, it's going to be so epic. It's gonna be, I'm going to get my camera back out. Blow the dust off the top of the camera, Ryan. <laughs> There's some butterflies to be photographed. As I record this on the 24th of January at 1748, it has been a weird couple of days on social media for wildlife. There was a fashion, was it Kylie Jenner? I don't know, one of the people that never enters my brain. Um... Kylie Jenner was seen wearing fake lion head in a fashion thing, but it was very realistic. Um, and they did say it wasn't real. I think there was a snow leopard one as well, a snow leopard dress. And oh, it's just, <laughs> it's just another example of the of fashion being an industry that is so de- actually detached away from what is important in regards to setting standards for protection and welfare of global biodiversity that's my take on it it's just like like overall it's fake so it's you know it it shouldn't be as bad as someone walking around with fake snakeskin boots on right but it is glorifying the fact that animals are fine to be used as clothing and obviously it's it was very much a lion's head so it looked like a trophy kind of aspect and it was just a bit gross all in all it was very just bleh, disgusting when you've got these very rich, very privileged people going, look at me jaunting around in nature. And, and you know, if they did that and then donated millions towards, you know, African lion charities, then that would be one thing. But they don't. They just earn money off of using aspects of the natural world to benefit themselves. So it's been a weird few days. It's int- I'm interested to hear your takes on that. So if you've got any takes on Kylie Jenner wearing a fake lion head for a dress a fashion show, email it in or DM me on social media. Interested to hear your thoughts. Anyway, on to today's show. I am talking to the wonderful photographer and nature writer Gail Ashton. It was a lovely chat. We spoke about Gail's passion, which is shooting bugs. And I don't mean with a rifle, I obviously mean with a camera. Gail is a wonderful macro photographer taking these lovely images of a numerous variety. Numerous variety? You know what I mean. A, a wide variety of insects. We spoke about how she got into that, her top tips, what her favourite thing is um, about, or what her favourite insects are to take photos of. And then we talk about the photography world, how it needs to be more diverse opportunities for more marginalised groups to get involved and what the issues are surrounding that. So this episode is simply titled Shooting Bugs with Gail Ashton. Gail Ashton, welcome to Into the Wild podcast. Don't know why I'm talking that slow. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Would you like me to talk just as slowly so that it matches? <laughs> Welcome to the two-hour <laughs> podcast with Kay Washed. <laughs> Let's really keep it chill. <laughs> thank you for having me. You're welcome. How is your, what day are we, Tuesday? How's your Tuesday been? Uh, my Tuesday um, has been, um, yeah, I've been driving a little bit. I've been doing some humdrum housework. You know, as you nice. do, um, I've been doing a bit of editing on my new book, which has been really nice. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Shall we start with the obvious? Um, for you to tell everyone who you are and what you do. Oh, hello. I'm Gail Ashton. Uh, I am a photographer, writer and uh, general lover of the natural world. 
Um, I specialise in macro photography of insects and other invertebrates, so things like spiders, mm. myriapods, woodlice, etc. Um, What's I'm, a myriapod? A myriapod, centipedes, millipedes, the ones Myri- with lots oh, of legs. Centipedes, of course they are, yeah. of course. Why did I not know that? Of course. The, the, a myriad of, of pods. Or a myriad, a myriad of, of pods, there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the many-legged ones. And I'm particularly interested in behaviour and ecology and mm. what these things are doing, these amazing little things are doing, when when they're doing it and why they're doing it and how it all joins up. And that's sort of, it's a very vague way of saying that I go down many rabbit holes. <laughs> I spend my life like going, going down rabbit, rabbit holes uh, to learn more about what, yeah, what is out What's there? What's going on? What's going on? Exactly. What the f- is going on? <laughs> yeah. Is that the title of your book? Please tell me that's the title of your it book. It wasn't, but there's going to be one now. Oh, Gail Ashton, what the <laughs> f- is going on down the rabbit hole? <laughs> oh God, I love it so much. I'm so, so stealing that. <laughs> that's Please be- <laughs> do. I'll just take a free copy <laughs> yeah. and a credit in the book. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, your I mean your photography is wonderful. You clearly are someone that spends a lot of time in wild space. And as we as we said before we press record, I have had the pleasure of walking around very of uh, the canals of where you um, where you live. So I've seen the space that's very near um, as a kind of nature uh, wandering area. So what's been your biggest nature highlight in the last seven days? Oh well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's not in my local area. Is it no. not? That's fine. That's and fine. it's not an insect. <laughs> Jesus, you're going, you're going left field. I know. I, I'll, I'll be lucky if we talk about insects today because I keep segueing, don't I? Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, it's not, obviously, there are masses of invertebrates around at this time of year. They're just not quite as visible. There's not as much activity. Yeah. So, um, and it's been one of those, those weeks where I've not really been out and about looking for them. Um, but what I have seen and what I did see this week, which is something that was so special, um, mm. it was a barn owl. Uh, isn't it just the best? Yes. And not, not just a barn owl, but what it, it was a barn owl, but what it, didn't, yeah. it wasn't just a fleeting glimpse. What it did is I was driving uh, back from Bedfordshire, Bedfordshire mm-hmm. into Hertfordshire, and this barn owl just appeared in front of my car, flew across my windscreen, not too close. It was, it was no, there was no peril involved. It was just beautiful to see. And yeah. it went across my car over to the other side, just to the hedge, and it it, it did the barn owl, owl hover thing, you know. Obviously, mm. they can't hover, but it just suspended itself in midair and looked down at the floor. And I just... Through my peripheral vision, driving safely, obviously. Went, I went, oh! <laughs> oh, that's that. <laughs> driving safely. I scream, put the vodka down, and. <laughs> yeah. um, um, oh, and that's it was amazing. Just this pale ghost in the in the twilight. It was just, and I, you don't, I, I don't see them that often. I know they're around. I see pictures on my. I am an admin on my local Facebook nature group. People go out and see barn owls all the time. They know where to find them. I know they're around, but just that circumstantial seeing them yeah. doing what they're doing, I just think it's amazing. That was It is beautiful. I saw my first one in December, ever. Oh wow. I, I saw I had a few I had a lot of firsts in one day. I saw my first murmurations. I saw my first my starling murmurations. I saw my first otter and then I saw my first barn owl. All in one That's day. an amazing triumvirate. Oh my god! I know. I was so cold. <laughs> That's my one takeaway. <laughs> we had been outside. I was with Billy Heaney and Sean McCormack at RSPB Otmore. It was like minus two or three all day, and we'd been out in it like nine till five. And you're just when you're just walking around or you're sitting in hides and stuff like that, you do you get to that point where you're like, I don't even know what cold is anymore. Like I, but I'm just you. Mm-hmm. But the the excitement of seeing stuff just kept kept us going. It was just lovely. So we were just walking mm-hmm. back. We decided to stop the stop viewing the murmurations. And we're, Sean was like, "If we leave now, we've got a chance. We'll see a, a bar now." And we did, and we saw one. It was just beautiful. It's yeah. It, I don't get. It's one of those things. It's like cliche. It never gets old. It doesn't, does it? It is nice. Um. Well, that's lovely. I'm glad you had that moment, and I'm glad you still drove safely. 
Thank you. Home okay. I have got um, um <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh no, that's I ended up in a ditch, but hey, that's our yeah, bar now. Yeah. The car's I've written got... off, but I saw the bar now. <laughs> <laughs> so you said at the beginning you're a photographer and writer, but we're going to focus a bit on your photography mm. because we're going to be talking about insects and photographing them or shooting them, mm-hmm. but obviously with the camera. So Gail, how did you get into photography with your connection with nature? How did those two things align up? So I've always been a massive fan of nature since I was mm. a kid and I've always been really into photography. My granddad gave me my first camera when I was about eight, I think, and it was, oh, can you imagine being given a camera um, as a kid? Oh, God, what? In, what? Like a... Prof- like a, in, a, a not... in the late, in the very, very late 80s, showing my age, um, this big hulking, it was called a, it was called a camera outfit. So it wasn't just the camera, it was the camera and the lenses and it was all stainless steel and leather. It was called an Agfa Ambisolet. You can Google it. Wow. Agfa Ambisolet. I'm going to Google it now. And it came with two of the lenses, which were all rangefinder lenses. So basically it was, it was just sort of hope for the best photography yeah yeah there was no real um real sort of specific you know final action in there it was like well just if you turn the dial to say that it's focusing at about two feet you might get around that it'll be fine yeah. okay <laughs> check, check, check your light meter first because there's no metering system in it um and i had this whole thing and i thought it was absolutely wonderful um but i obviously didn't get hugely great results out of it but, but i'd point and shoot it in anything uh, many birds i was a mm. huge bird obsessive when i was young i had the books I would sit and memorize the all the birds in my bird but I'd get my dad to test me before I turn my light out at night <laughs> he'd basically turn over the pages and what's this bird it's a this and this like, green and I was really obsessed with birds and I've that's that was my thing mm. but in those days taking pictures of insects and invertebrates if I'd even been interested in them was just not an easy thing to do because the equipment just wasn't there We totally take for granted now that even on a basic smartphone, you can take a picture of a fly. And it looks And it looks pretty good. (laughs) There was nothing back then that would even get that small. You know, butterflies were about the best you could hope for with any degree of detail. But after I'd sort of proven myself and my commitment to my photography, uh, my dad's friend, John, gave me an Olympus OM-10, which was my first SLR camera. Nice. Which is how old were you when you said? Oh, probably maybe ten or eleven. Nice. And uh, I took that everywhere, and I again took pictures of birds, butterflies, anything, basically anything and everything. I loved taking pictures, and that sort of progressed into me uh, doing a photography A level when I was at sixth form college. And I bought myself some extension tubes. I got a Saturday job at a camera shop in Sheffield, where I where I grew up. As soon as I got the Saturday job in a camera shop, you've got staff discount, you've got second-hand equipment. I bought everything. <laughs> Didn't need it, just bought it. Got extension tubes, telephoto lenses, teleconverters. Just, I hoarded camera stuff. It was just brilliant. And then I could get, buy my film cheap and then I could get the, get it processed cheap. And this world opened up where every, suddenly from it being a very expensive, inaccessible pastime, which photography still is, let's face it, and we can talk about that later. I had an inroad to being able to do it a little bit more and get a bit more out of it. So I did my photography A-level and then I ended up at Falmouth College of Art, as it was known then, Falmouth University now, doing a degree in photographic communication. Nice. Now, I'm still interested in nature at this point, but my course was incredibly commercial. And it really sort of pulled everybody into more commercial sort of portraiture advertising. And with it still being film photography at that point, digital was in its infancy. You know, it was basically one pixel per photograph. Um, (laughs) It was not not great in those days. It was still quite difficult to to get the equipment to even think about sort of the mm. closer nature stuff. So I did a lot of macro photography and close-up photography in the studio with the huge cameras, the big 5.4 and 10.8 cameras, but that was as far as it went. So I got pulled into the commercial route, which is a real shame because now Falmouth has one of the best natural history photography courses in the, you know, the cosmos. It's an amazing. That's great though, isn't it? That it's kind of like gone on that 
evolution because I think that shows that, that there's reason to have yeah, it. Absolutely. And that is, if I, if I could live my life again, I'd, I'd be on that course. If, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't there when I was there, but if I could do it all over again, I'd be there like a shot. It was just my, You'd perf- go down. it was my ideal course. Um, yeah, and yeah. I'm really glad they run it now. It's brilliant. And they've got a fantastic campus down there. Um, so I sort of left nature behind for quite a long time. I had a very extended hiatus. So f- fast forward now a long, long time to 2017, where I have a friend, Ross Piper, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an entomologist. He's very well known in the entomological world. So a yep. great guy. He lived locally to us. He's big into his beetles and his wasps and he's he just oozes knowledge and enthusiasm. So by diffusion, every time we'd sort of get together, he would take us off on a bug hunt and start saying, look at this, look at this, it does this and this and this. And of course, I asked him the perennial question because back then I didn't know nearly as much. I said, so Ross, what's the point of wasps? And funnily enough, I've just listened <laughs> to your podcast with Professor Sarian Sumner. Oh, yes. The whole yeah. wasp thing. And he just went, he shut me down. He went, how dare you say that, Ashton? Right. OK, here's why. And I thought, <laughs> OK, all right. I've got a lot to learn here. So he also took photos and I loved his pictures. I thought, oh, I'll give that a go. And that that, that was it. The, the, the rest is literally history. I went out one day with more basic equipment than him. He threw me together a flash. He made me a flash diffuser. And we went out and that was it. I started, yeah, doing this. You're just absolutely hooked from that moment on. Yeah. I, I really like it when I hear that people have had that kind of break because I think I was similar in that. I have a lot of, I, I recognise a lot of those kind of feelings. I... I've always worked with animals and wildlife, but in kind of, I don't know, it was about four years where I other things were going on, so I just got dragged away from yeah. it, and then I kind of just got pushed right back, which which was lovely. So it's always nice to hear that other people have had that kind of experience in different ways and, and, and things like that. Because insects are, you know, I'm in no means a photographer. I have a camera mm. that I saved and worked very hard for. I have a macro lens that I enjoy taking macro of, you know, flowers, anything. And they take lovely profile shots as well. Because insects can be very hard to photograph. Like, mm. just like a lot of wildlife. Like, have you got any, like, top tips for people that want to photograph, and this might tie into other areas of wildlife photography as well, but is there any tips that you really felt helped you get used to photographing very small and probably sometimes, I use the word inaccessible in the way of, you know, you've got to get quite close to these animals <laughs> <laughs> and they can be in tricky situations sometimes. You might have to be laying on the floor, head in a shrub kind of thing. Mm. So, you know, have you got any top tips for people that are trying to get into this? Um, I think... Probably a really important thing is be prepared to not walk very far or be prepared to spend an infinitely long period of time in one spot. Yep, done. You've sold it. (laughs) No, that is one of the best bits of advice or top tips we've had on the show. What's the best tip for insect photography? Just be prepared to not move. Brilliant. Next. What's next? Be prepared to drink. Yep, I'm there. It's banging so far. Be prepared to put your slippers on. Um, yeah, absolutely yeah. buzzing for that. I know, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But um, you move too fast and you try and walk too far and yeah. you're not going to see anything. Pick a spot and just look at it. Find a spot that's sunny, south-facing. Yeah. Do your research. Find out from nature reserves what are the insect hotspots? Because now nature reserves and nature reserve managers and pre, you know whoever's creating the content um, and mm. for the literature, for the websites, for any information that you get, they're becoming more insect savvy. People right. are starting to give you information now about not just birds and mammals, but what insects are there and the phenology as well when they're there. Because there's a, there's a huge calendar of different insects, and you co- you mm. go back to a particular site in March and you're going to see a completely different set of insects in March than you are in June. So there's a lovely sort of a gradation of diversity through the year. Find that spot and just keep visiting it and go and sit, Mm. just go and sit there. Some of the best encounters I've had of when I'm absolutely knackered. I'm really (laughs) demoralised. I've not seen what I want because I'm trying too hard to find everything. I just sit, sit down and I'll and eat something and you just watch a blade of grass and then all of a sudden things start to come to life. And when you get your eye in, I always talk about getting my eye in and tuning into 
what is deeper into that blade of grass, that bit of vegetation, mm. and what's not there now because the insects are mobile, they, you know, they fly, it's great, they'll just come to you because they're not birds. This is the other thing. I love yes, birds. They're not. They're not. That's also a very good scientific bit of knowledge you yeah. just shared there. Insects are not They're not birds, birds and they behave differently <laughs> and they do different things. <laughs> there are any nature beginners listening. Um, we do keep it lame on the show. Any, you didn't want any science on this, on this particular episode, did No, I, I did episode, say did you? you don't have to be too academic. I did say that. So <laughs> you, you have really met the brief. Excellent. Let's <laughs> keep it really basic. So... so I've forgotten what I was saying now. What was I saying? Apart from uh, don't insects move, aren't birds. I move and insects aren't birds. Yeah, but you'd yeah. be surprised because I was in um I was in a nature reserve in Essex a few years ago. I was on my knees photographing a, a couple of mining bees and they were just in a little patch of clover on the ground, got my head, my head on the ground shooting these bees, and I look round and two guys have appeared out of a side path and they're just staring at me. So I look at them. It's always nice to know men know how to approach people. Yeah. <laughs> just staring at me. It's like, nice Hi. to keep it normal, men. Just stare. And uh, I said, oh, it's, they were about 10 metres away from me. So I'm sort of pointing at this random bit of grass going, oh, it's mining bees. Yeah. Mining bees. And they had their binoculars on, so they were clearly birders. So do, do, do you want to come and have a look? And I swear to God, Ryan, they didn't come any closer, but one of the guys just held his binoculars up and and, and held them up to, to try and find these bees in this patch of grass. And I just thought that... From 10 metres away? Yeah. For f***'s <laughs> sake. <laughs> so, yeah, insects aren't birds. No, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the closing statement, yeah. <laughs> that is the story that proves... I. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'd take mining bees over birds any day of the week. <laughs> I think what I'm, what I'm trying to say, and my, my lack of vocabulary is startling, is don't treat them like other wildlife. You don't look yeah, at them yeah. the same way. The, the great thing about insects is you don't have to stalk them. Yeah. You don't have to go to sit in a hide for four hours and wait, just wait for something to happen. You sit down anywhere and there's stuff already there. They don't generally fly off. Sometimes they do. That's a bit of a challenge. But if you sit there... They will generally do just live their lives around you because mm. we're too big for them to even comprehend as being either a threat or anything. You know, they'll just work around us. Yeah, and they do. We're more an obstacle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, what is this massive thing that was here? It wasn't here yesterday. Have I got to go around it, under it, or over it? Um, exactly. And you, you really tune in. There's so much life happening when you sit there. You know, you sit on the bank of a, a big pond. In, mm. in the, on a sunny morning in June and you sit there and suddenly you hear this chewing noise and you go, what is that? And then you look around and then you finally locate something and it's a, dra- you know, it's a dragonfly emerging from its exuvia, splitting oh, its way man. out. And then you see another and then you see suddenly you've got five of them. And if you're walking, which is going back circular to my other point about don't move too fast, if you're yeah. just walking at any kind of pace, you're going to miss it. So yeah. you have to really just pre- be prepared to say, I'm just going to go and sit there for a bit today and see what I see. So yeah, I'm, re- I'm, so mass- I'm massively unfit. My cardio scores <laughs> are through the floor. <laughs> but I've got some well, great pictures. you know what they say about entomologists, the most unfit <laughs> of the animal group study people. Yeah. It is such. It's almost a cliche thing to say, isn't it? When we say to people like, "Just slow down and mm. look at your surrounding." It's like you know, it's, it's over the last three or four years uh, with you know COVID years as well. It's uh, explore your local patch mm. and slow down. It's one of those things. But you're right with insects because you're never gonna f- be able to like follow that butterfly wherever it's going. You will not mm. like it will keep moving because it's busy. Yeah, and I know like, I've, I've tried chasing a brimstone. Yeah, and I've tried. Yeah. yeah, I'm saying that from experience. <laughs> like if you if I want to get a picture of the uh, the peacock, uh, you ain't gonna get it by following it. You you might as well just sit in the long grass and wait yeah. for another one to turn up. Like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's it's way easier. Um, but there's a real predictability about insects as well because it's interesting you say about the peacock. I'm going to go off on a set, on a on a on a ramble now, but um, you know I know where to find peacock butterflies precisely, so I can go down to my local reserve, Rushy Mead, in sort of March time mm. on a sunny day, and where all the uh, the nettles are just starting to sprout up through the floor, yeah. I will see 
a male peacock butterfly sat there pinning down his territory, you can go up to it and approach it and it'll fly off, but it will pretty much come back to that exact spot. And I did it last year and there was a a very broad patch about the width of a five-a-side football pitch. And Mm. I had on the left, there was a comma, butterfly in the middle there was a peacock and on the right there was a small tortoiseshell and they'd all established their bit of territory so i had the three different butterflies just (laughs) uh, you know just just i could just pick and choose what i did yeah yeah and they were there and i knew they were there and it it made it makes it so much easy by so much easier by doing that little bit of research as to where they'll be and when and that can really take some of the donkey work out of it as well but that's yeah i like that having said that there's nothing like going somewhere and just be massively surprised by what you see have you learned much like with the photography has it shown you much or taught you much anything about entomology through photography you know that you're laughing you know that you know that (laughs) gif where the woman's spitting a drink all over the place yeah did you just do that (laughs) oh yeah i've learned nothing oh my god (laughs) really you've learned nothing (gasps) God, uh, uh, that sounded like a disappointed father that invested in your education in wildlife photography. I've learned, You've learned nothing. I've learned nothing because it's like, is it? It's Confucius, isn't it? I'm going to really show my ignorance now. Is it Confucius? To paraphrase him, one thing I know, and it's that I know nothing. The more you learn in entomology, the the, the more you just have to accept more questions how are, yeah. little you know. And yeah. I'm going to, I'm just going to put a shout out there for everybody who's got an appalling memory. <laughs> don't don't give up on entomology don't give up on trying to classify and identify insects i've got terrible memory i i'm still i'm i'm still trying i'm really trying but <laughs> i tell you I, i've learned so many species names but come this summer we'll go out in the field and i'll be like oh what's that that it's um yeah come on don't tell me that'll be me for the first two months until i start remembering yeah. what everything is again because there's so I'm much like that. I can remember it, but it will take me, like, if you, if we see something, I will look at it and be like, right, you have to ask me again in 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I can't tell. If you need the... I mean, I'm just going to go argue, into my mind palace for 10 minutes until it just yeah, appears. I need, to, I need to search the gates and find <laughs> where that bit of paper was that I wrote that down last year. But I would argue that any... You don't... I don't think anyone... I'm going to I'm gonna say something so bold here, Gary. Go on. No one has ever immediately needed to identify an animal or species. No one's ever seen an insect. Unless the only time is if you've been bitten by it and you know it could be dangerous and you need to identify. Like the king king snake and the milk snake. Like you know what I mean? I get really anxious about that. It's like, what if I go if I go somewhere and I get bitten and I lose I don't have the specimen, how are they gonna treat me? I have a massive anxiety about that. They'll be able to treat you because you'll go to the hospital and go, I got bit they'll just they'll look at the symptoms, won't they? Oh, I like to think that they'll be able to be specific because I'll be too busy I, having a panic I, attack. If I but... lose trust in medicine, <laughs> I'm going to have a panic attack every time I go. <laughs> I have to believe that they know what they're doing and I don't have to bring data with That's me. That's good advice. I'm, st- I'm, gonna, I'm taking that. I'm taking that. Yeah, Gail, you've got to put trust in medical care. If you don't, you're just going to be a mess. But I, my but point doctor, there was... I can't I... remember the species name. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue that no no one really ever needs to immediately know oh, man, the idea of an animal. You know, Therefore, if I tell you in 10 minutes and half an hour and 45, it's, it doesn't matter. That's true to an extent, yeah, definitely. But um, I, um, Do you think? Yes, but it is really useful. And I've worked with people who just remember... Oh, it's great! What, yeah, how lovely would it be? We don't like those people, Gail. We don't like. I am. Um, I work every summer. I work with the uh, with a, an amazing little group of guys called the Hertfordshire Invertebrate Project, and it's a group of uh, I, I, I say amateur in the loosest possible terms because they yeah, they literally just don't get paid for what they do. They are extraordinary. They are extraordinary naturalists, um, botanists, mm. entomo- entomologists, birders. They're their knowledge and love for the natural world is incredible. And we go out and we'll go to a set nature reserve. We have a sort of a, pla- a plan for the summer. We'll go out to a reserve or a wild space. And I can't tell you how nice it is when they'll just go, that's that, that's that, that's that. We write it down, tick, 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 and that's a few for the list. So in some circumstances, oh, it's absolutely wonderful when you've got people who know immediately what they are, especially with insects, because 
yeah, there's quite a lot of yeah. them. But um, yeah, generally, I, I, I do, I totally understand what you're saying. We, we don't. But let's not put it at the line of expectation. No. No. I'd say that's specialist. Yeah, because uh, the the really valid thing about what you're saying is that if if there were the expectation for everybody who goes into entomology to be able to remember absolutely everything, it would terrify the life out of people, and they'd never do it. So exactly. we do absolutely have to. We do have to be really loose about it. And I think I'm being general here. I'm going to make a bold statement now. Go on. Um, m- many birders that I've met. Glaze over oh. when you mention insects. Gail, I'm going to stop you there. Right, I made the mistake two and a half years ago of saying something about birds and birds, and I'm still living it down. So just think about what you're going to say here. <laughs> I'm tr- okay. Well, I've already wound a lot of them up anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Um, so- take, take the heat off of me, Gail. <laughs> Call on birders. <laughs> Go on. I think... When I talk to birders and they're really into they're really into what they've seen and what's out there and stuff, and then they say, "Oh, what are you looking for? What what have you seen today?" I said, "Well, not so much of a birder. I'm an entomologist and insects." And they just go, "Oh." And I don't know if it's because it's just the insect thing is just too vast. You've got three hundred and eleven two birds, haven't you, in um, in Britain? Six hundred and twenty five. Some, I don't know. Sorry, I, I sorry, got bur- Do- bored listening to someone telling me once, so I couldn't so, even tell. Sorry, you. Dominic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's 24,000 insects, I think, in the UK. So yeah. I think sometimes it's too, there's too much. And birders seem to like to, sorry, some birders seem <sighs> to like to have everything neatly on the shelf. And you see the dunnock, and it's a dunnock, and you see the Oh, give me a name. Uh, woodcock. Woodcock, and it's a woodcock. And they can see it by its flight and its beat. And everything fits nicely. Insects are just like getting, you know, the biggest box of Lego that's been sat in the loft for 20 years, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. and you just tip it all over the floor. Yeah. And I, th- I, th- I think it has that kind of effect where you just go, I can't, no, I can't deal with it. It's too much. It's, too much. Yeah, it's, it's just too, too much. much. So yeah. that's that's how I feel about Game of Thrones. I'm just like, it's too much. <laughs> okay. It's too much going on. Like, I just, I can't. Like, it, there's too much into what I'm too late. Done. Something else. <laughs> I, sorry, I came to, back to Sopranos about 15 years later. So there's always time. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you mean. Actually, do you know what? That is, I do understand that because it is a lot in it. Like, it is. Like yeah, it's a lot to get your head round, and I think when you're in your thing already, mm. and you're still maybe even still learning that, like it's you can't take on everything. No. We know that, that. You know, we do episodes called Nature Room One Hundred and One, where we talk about the things we don't like because you're not meant to like everything. Mm. Like that's that's very unnatural and very unhuman. I'm really struggling with that though because I'm trying to I'm tr- I'm trying to narrow down because I think I have to I have to narrow it down. Do I? What, I love wasps. Absolutely love yeah. wasps. I love well, actually, no, before you go on mm. with this, because I, my next question is very much on this point. What is your favourite insect oh, to photograph? Oh, see, and that's... Oh. Come on, you've got a favourite okay. kid, you've got a favourite insect, come on. <laughs> really? Like, people say they don't, but they do. <laughs> my favourite kid? Oh, somebody else's kid probably at the moment. Yeah. I love yeah. my children, I love them both. <laughs> They're so brilliant. <laughs> They won't listen. Do you know what? I was in anticipation of this question. I had a look through my Lightroom catalogue, and yeah, funnily enough, every one that I pick out, every photo, because I can't have a favourite. I just can't. It's too. It's too. Can it's too not? much pressure. Every photo that I've picked out has been a wasp because they're always doing something really interesting, and they mm. do things very differently. So I've got one here, and it's a German wasp. And it's basically flown into a spider web and mm. it's robbing a little green bottle fly from the web. It's not really taking it out. It's just it's just sucking it dry in the web. And the wasp has sort of done this acrobatic thing where it's just sort of clinging onto the spider web whilst not being snared by it. And it's just got this green bottle, sucking it dry, and it will fly off happy as Larry after. And I've got this lovely That's big close-up. Yeah, and you can see this squished-up green bottle. And, you know, 99.9% of people go, That's disgusting. But it's got, you know, it's got fly juice all over its face and innards, and it's just it's just enjoying itself. 
and it's got its big hairy head. You know, this is the thing about insects. People say, oh, they're not cute. They're not fluffy. Oh, my God, they're so fluffy. They are. They're yeah, so they so fluffy. are. Yeah. <laughs> and they're cute. They've got big eyes. What more do you want? They've got fluff and big yeah. eyes. And that is that is basically the, the, the human principle of cuteness, isn't it? Fluffy and big eyes. Apparently the dog world, yeah. So that was that one. And then I had another look, another look through. And then the next one I looked at was one of the Purbeck Mason wasp, which is what a mm. very um, highly localised uh, wasp. Uh, it's, it's under threat because of the very sensitive habitat it has down on Dorset Heathlands. It's only found in that one area, I believe, of the Purbeck Peninsula, possibly a few, but they're just very, very localised and it's, um, yeah, not found anywhere else. And it's just got hold of a button moth caterpillar. So it's just seized it with its mandibles and it's about to tuck it in under its legs and fly off with it back to its nest where it will will paralyse it and then pop it next to its egg. It's the, the wasp's own egg. That egg will hatch out and eat the caterpillar. Yum! And it's paralyze, not kill it. Yep, absolutely. Because they need to be they need Jesus. they need to be alive in order to not decompose. So that's um, I, I know yeah. Sarian went through a lot of sort of parasitism and hyperparasitoidism, yeah. but yeah, pretty. It just reminds me of the graphic detail. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. I know it's nature. I don't want to like put it into human terms. Yeah, but it is just so it's, it's beautifully. It's, it's beautiful. like beyond Jeffrey Dahmer in it. Like, <laughs> it's beautifully sort of um, yeah, got a paralytic sort of you know frozen in time. Still can feel everything nice. probably and um, lovely it's, stuff. It's, it's pop- popped in a little larder next to an egg. It's it's, yeah. it's every horror story come true, isn't it? One for the kids, but that. <laughs> Sleep well. But this, uh, absolutely, yeah, don't have nightmares. Um, yeah. This Don't let the parasitic wasp bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forget the bed bugs, that's nothing. <laughs> uh, this wasp is so beautiful and what I love about getting really up close to it is you see every nook and cranny of this tiny, yeah. tiny animal. Uh, you see the exoskeleton, you see the, the, the you know, the punctures in the cuticle, you see the coloration of it, you see the way the wings attach into the into the thorax. You see mm. every single omitidian of its compound eye. And you just you then suddenly think, oh, that's quite complex, isn't it? There's quite mm. a lot going on there. And then you find out wh- why this eye works like it does. You find out that the antenna it don't just stick out of its head. They're sensory organs. They are, you know, they advertise. And you can tell if it's a male or female, if it's got 12 or 13 antennal segments, if it's a bee or a wasp. And suddenly you go, oh, I'm learning stuff. And it's really addictive. I like your answer to this question because you're not, you're not giving me an answer. I, don't, I can't remember what the question was. I do <laughs> I asked you what your favourite group of insects was and you said you couldn't pick. But then what you're doing subtly is give me all the examples of your beautiful wasp photos. Yeah, so I think essentially... So in some level, you're telling me an answer without anyone going, you're biased towards wasps. <laughs> it just seems... <laughs> Which is wonderful. You've done a very politician thing here, I know, <laughs> okay. Because if I say wasps, I then feel really yeah. sorry for the beetles because I love the beetles. And I'm really into tree bugs at the moment. Um, I think... I just think bugs are just brilliant. There's, there's so many of them and they do yeah, so many different things. they really things. are. I'm such a beetle fan. Beetles are... I'm looking at a picture of a lesser stag beetle now and you just look at its massive beefy head and you go, oh, that is just yeah. gorgeous. I think they can get so big as well. Mm. That's what I like about I them. I saw my first stag beetle last year and it was such a magical thing. They're beautiful, aren't they? On a global, in global terms, and you know, in a global perspective, they're not that big, but it's our biggest no. beetle, and it's one of you know one of our probably our heftiest insect. I don't know about volume or mass, but it's beefy and it's chunky, and if it sits in your hand, you can feel the weight of it. Have you um, ever ever held a um, um, four? Is it four spotted? Araneus quadratus, I think it's the four-spotted orb weaver. It's a little bit like the garden spider, but you can feel the weight of it in your hand and it's a real big surprise. No. When you hold it, you go, oh, I can feel it. And that's because that, you can't generally feel insects. So when you get one that's that big and beefy... Yeah, it's really bizarre, go, isn't it? Oh, I can feel that. It's actually, it's a yeah, tangible... Like a yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like holding a small rodent. Um, yeah. <laughs> and dragonflies as well. I've 
love dragonflies. Yeah, dragonflies are beefy. They're right? really beefy, and also they're brilliant because if you um, if if you sort of if you're lucky, let's face it, if you're lucky and you get the right one, um, because insects do have personalities, and nobody's telling me otherwise. Um, if you, you can, you can, you can just sort of. You're using this this episode as a way to make make claims and go in. Good luck dealing with that, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm going to get replies on this on Twitter. <laughs> I would love to chat to anybody about the personalities of insects. People will tell you that if you, I can go out right. I know when I'm on a hiding to nothing with a particular insect because it'll fly off and I'll follow it and then it'll fly off again. Don't. That's another top tip. Don't chase the one that doesn't want to be photographed. It's it's told you it doesn't want to yes, be photographed. Yeah. But every so often, you'll find one that will just sit there happily and give you the, the best shoot. Open the it, wings, will, yeah. it will literally just pose for you and sit there happily for you. So they do have personalities. Some are more chilled out. Some are a bit more tetchy. Yeah. I'm happy to take questions. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, who the f*** am I to disagree <laughs> Like I yeah yeah done let's and we'll just wait for the emails to come in. I like the way you spoke about the wasp photos and although it's a bit graphic at times and I think that's beautiful though because it shows the behaviour it shows what they're doing and it's you know that's all part of wildlife photography that you're catching something in real time that's mm. the whole point of it so it doesn't matter whether it's gory and you know we see lions feeding on a gazelle in wildlife photography mm. awards and stuff like mm. that with the blood dripping or the polar bear with the blood ram that's mm. white face and stuff so we see that stuff and i think it's it's lovely to see the predatory side of insects as well because it's it's a world that unless you really are like yourself you know putting your macro lens in you're not seeing as much and i think it's just insect photography is that wonderful way of showing life around everyone but really that predatory side that we don't see a lot i think that's mm. a wonderful side of insect photography to show and also from a human interaction perspective we only ever perceive mm. insects flying pa- past us and being in the garden as just being in the way there's a yeah. there's a there's a uh, ignorance is the wrong word what's the word i'm looking for it's not ignorant it's just a, we're, we're awareness. A, oblivious yeah and a lack of awareness of actually all of these yeah. they're all really busy just trying to survive they've got no interest in us whatsoever they just really need to survive and um, i wrote about um written about a few insects in terms of i think one of them was the german wasp which is the one that's probably most likely to sting us in the garden the ones that you love the yellow jackets they're so similar (laughs) to us you know the garden spiders are so similar to us all they're trying to do and I talk about the females mostly because they are the parents. They're just trying to feed their children, keep them warm and dry and safe. And if we look at it on that kind of level, if we really try hard to see them as reflections of us, and I as a mum, you know, I'm just trying to keep yeah. my children warm, safe, dry, fed, and into adulthood, <laughs> which I've nearly managed. Yay! <laughs> which which <you're> nearly there. <laughs> Not far, just, yeah, a few more years and then I can, you know, tick that box. That's yeah. what they're trying to do too. So every spider yeah, you yeah. see, every bumblebee that you see is just trying to do exactly the same thing as us. But mm. they just look different and they behave different and they sound different and it's it's all a very alien world and it's so difficult to get people to empathise. I've, I've got a very healthy obsession, I think, with trying to get people to love mm the insect invertebrate world as much as I do. I know so little about it. I'm so, um, I'm you know, my lack of knowledge compared to people like Sarian and Erica McAllister and Ash Whiffin and Gavin Broad yeah. and all these, inc- and Stephen Falk, all these incredible entomologists. I've learned so much from them. But I feel like, you know, if I can just be massively enthusiastic and show through my photographs that this is just a group of animals, just like us, trying to just get through get get through the day. They're all just trying to get through the day. Yeah, I think you said something there that I, I've just, I think you're really right. And I think this is a really good opportunity to say to you and listeners as well, is that with your photography of insects, the entomologists, the ones you just named, and, and many, many more, are irrelevant to an extent. Because without connecting to the wider public about entomology on a human level, on a non-entomology level, on a layman level, without being able to do that, the study of insects really, with our society the way it works, 
isn't as powerful. You need people on side and science is too complex to get the entire public on side. So that, that what those people do, that's, that study, that science is so important. But your photography and other people's photography and that kind of connection and storytelling with insects is as important as a scientific study of it because without it, that science isn't going anywhere. It's just happening that's what i believe <laughs> thank you and uh, that's very very kind of you but i'm having a minor panic attack here while i just think about oh, they're really good at talking to people as well and i think they're amazing and please don't please don't think oh god no they are they really are and you know what it is and, and i've spoken to uh, i think i've spoken to three of those names you mentioned yeah. uh, i've spoken to erica ash and serian yeah. and amazing broadcasters and, yeah and they're wonderful communicators broadcasters everything they, they really really are isn't it brilliant that I think probably this is in the last few years this is this has been happening. I think maybe yeah. some years ago it was very much you're either the scientist or you're yes, the teacher. Or you're something else. And we've got a brilliant crossover now of these incredibly knowledgeable people. And I mean, Erica, mm. I could I literally could listen to Erica McAllister read the phone book. She's just so yeah. interesting and engaging. And if I know Erica like I think I do, she'll probably <laughs> she'll probably take the money for that. <laughs> she'll probably let you. Let she'll read it for you if you pay. Well away from that. <laughs> but yeah, it's. it's <laughs> It's, it's it's brilliant seeing these basically yeah, an yeah. amazing new generation of loads of women doing it um, and young people yes. who are just so enthusiastic and go look but isn't it brilliant they're not just sat there going what well, it does this and this and this and they're going yeah but look it does this and it's amazing I, I i think what i've really tried to look at is like communication has come a long way in mm. science in the last five six years but it also i think is what we're realizing, I hope what we're realizing is that it's a team effort, right? You you know, you you don't, like we said about IDN, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be good at everything. If you have the knowledge, the scientific knowledge, but you don't like communicating, that's fine. Create a network, a community of knowledge that can reach the same goals. You know, I I'm good at talking. That's my thing, right? I can put things into, I can hear knowledge and communicate it to people. That's what I, I've been told and what I believe I'm quite good at. Um, I'm not good at the sciencey stuff. I need that explained to me more. But that's why we have a team. That's why we have everything together. So I think that, that's why I said that because I think you're, I think photography is such a powerful way of showing people a wasp eating something from a spider's web and then going, wow, what is that? And then having the science there ready to communicate. So it's almost like, you know, it's that starting point. I, I wanted to go on to one other thing as well, because it's something that you do. I'm not sure if campaign's the right word. Maybe that's too specific, but something you kind of, you stand for a lot. I've spoken to you at Global Bird Fair when I met you there and Charlie Bingham as well. And we've had this kind of chat uh, uh, together. But like many things, a majority of celebrated wildlife photographers are white men. And to ask simply, I want, you know, as, as a woman photographer, why is that? Why are the majority of celebrated wildlife photographers photographers white men? I think it comes down to some very simple economics. Also, the sharing of responsibility with when mm. it comes to family. Uh, and I'm going to be probably peddling the same old trope here that most women do, but I think it's become a cliche because it's true. Yeah, Men still generally will have the larger incomes and more spare time. Speaking directly from experience, I was incredibly fortunate to get the camera equipment that I did back in 2017. I couldn't have done it on my own, but I was fortunate enough to be able to get hold of that equipment. Sounds like I stole it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were all thinking it when you said you worked at a yeah. photography um, shop. Sh you said something about massive discounts, which <laughs> we all heard, we all read between 100% the lines. Hundred percent discounts. Um, yeah, but um, I I was able to do that. I mean, the thing is, I'm still using that equipment. Uh, right. I, and and being perfectly honest with you, when that equipment starts to deteriorate, that's going to be a bit of a difficulty because I am not in a situation where I can just magic seven or eight grand yeah. out of the air. And that is the case for a huge swathe of people. I find that the majority of photographers who have that huge amount of equipment have come from incredibly high income careers. Yeah where they can just 
by that lens. I'll tell you, you know what, um, just segueing slightly, I've been told that I should get more into bird photography again. It'd be really nice to do, you know, that crossover. I cannot afford to get into bird photography because I cannot afford mm. to spend eight, nine grand on that lens. Uh, yeah. That generic massive lens that gets you, you know, to see a bird from the other end of, the, of a football pitch. And I'm not interested in that anyway. That's why I like invertebrate photography, because I like to be really close to my subjects. I like to feel immersed in it. But there's the, there's the money thing. The majority of women aren't going to be able to have that disposable income. A lot of women just simply cannot do that because they've got other responsibilities or they have had that career gap where they aren't able to get back into that high income bracket. We also, and as a, as a mum, I know that I cannot just leave the house and go off. I did it a few years ago when I did my 500 species project, but that's when I made sure that there was somebody around for my kids the whole time. But I couldn't do that full time. I couldn't do that year on year on year. I can't disappear off to the Arctic for four weeks. I can't disappear off to Namibia for four weeks. Economically, I can't. And time-wise, I can't because always as a mum, at the back of my mind, I am micromanaging so many different things that you just, you can't commit all that time to it Mm. and I think that is a big big problem now that's just sort of the female problem um I also really despair at the almost absence of minority ethnic people who are able to just pick up that camera equipment and go out for long periods of time it's a huge problem and I don't feel like I can just go and wade in and go right let's fix this because I, I I just I don't know how And I don't want to be that presumptuous person that goes, well, let's go and try and make the world better. Yeah, yeah. And like like you said, like you said, like, you know, that that you you can talk about the female problem, but then, you know, you and I are still both two white people. We don't necessarily, we can see an issue without feeling the issue if yeah. that makes sense do you know what I mean yeah and I th- yeah. but I do think a, a lot of people is still are still unaware of that absence mm. do, you, do you know what I mean so therefore yeah, they don't yeah, really yeah. they don't really worry about it I would love to see more women out taking pictures and do you know I, 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 I've got a little bit scratchy uh, I was at Global Bird Fair as you well know that's where I met you yes this year saw you there and I went into the camera the camera stand area and I was talking talking to a well-known camera brand representative and just cheekily asking about how you became an ambassador and saying, you know, I've got this portfolio and I do this and I do that. And am I somebody such a such a sort of response of disinterest? And I said, you know what, there's just not many, not many women. And the, the guy said to me, we've got loads of women ambassadors loads of women nature photographer ambassadors um it's you know we're really proud to represent them and I looked around me and I looked over at another well-known camera stand where there was a a white guy giving a presentation following on from another white guy and I just thought I'm not seeing it yeah you might be saying it and there might be people on Instagram but right down where you know here in real life where people want to see other people and see a more diverse mix of people not only at somewhere like bird fair but also taking the stage it's still not happening and this is in no way to just single out bird fair i know it's happening at quite a lot of places so it's yeah it's difficult, it's, isn't it? I, yeah. I totally, because obviously your experiences as a woman photographer, I am never going to, like I said, feel because I am a a, a man and I'm not going to mm. feel the experiences of marginalised or ethnic groups because I am mm. a white man. But the only thing I can, I guess, feel from my side is feel this work, the, the working class aspect as well. And yeah. that's, it's something that, like I said, I only got my camera two years ago and I saved and worked and got that and you know it was my 30s yeah. and it just wasn't an option growing mm. up you know it you know no. it, it just it just was not an option no. like and, and from, from working class family and this is when mm. i see things when i see people having all this kit i mm. I, I have such mixed feelings about it because mm. there's part of me that i'm just feeling a bit grossed out by it and mm. i don't like putting a price tag on connecting mm. with nature i don't like yeah. doing that because i yeah didn't have a choice growing up my connection with nature and i adored it was Mm. to go and immerse myself in it and go and bug collecting or 
yeah. and go pond dipping and stuff. Yeah. I had to do that because there was no other option, but I mm. adored it. And so when I see people having all this kit and mm. us keep pushing that this is a mm. big part of nature connection and mm -hmm. you can't go birding without getting a picture mm. and it's like, but you can and yeah. like, I There's don't know, massive... I, I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but... Yeah. No, I agree. There's a massive privilege attached to getting that yeah. super clean photo of that bird in that perfect light because you've got the privilege of being able to buy that kit, bugger off on any given day. You know, you, you, you're you not going to be able to do that when you work at Tesco. You bugger off on any given day and you'll be on a warning. You can't mm. just go off and do whatever you want whenever you want. You're very, very fixed. And that's why, yeah, I mean, yeah. I miss out on a lot of stuff because I have commitments, work-related, family-related. So there is a lot of privilege. And I, I do firmly believe that that privilege is still attached to being that particular demographic of, of white gentlemen who have mm. got themselves in that position where, you know, and they've done, sorry, they, they've done it by being able to just work right through with no 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 career stops no no bringing up children no stopping you know i don't resent my children i love them to bits but yeah, i think but it's, it's a very very with, yeah. it's it is an absolute reality and like you said you know and the, i think still the majority of working class of oh, the ma majority of minorities are still going to be in that working class group where they yeah. aren't receiving the private education and they're not getting the contacts and they they just you know they they're doing that very normal uh, struggle through life that many people are doing. But what we're seeing, what's being celebrated still, is the work of these few people who are just able to pluck equipment. I, I'm thinking that I have a very famous super macro photographer, a micro photographer, who's become very, very well known. And I think, you know, I don't know, was he a surgeon or he was it was just something very very well paid which allowed him to retire early and go i'll just buy all this kit yeah. and i'll make myself good at it there's no there's no yeah, graft yeah, there's can, no graft there. yeah there's no craft there's no build i, I think because the other thing here i mean you know elephant in the room is, is safety as well Yes. You know, we talk about safety oh, in wild God, spaces yeah. for women and um, ethnic groups yeah. as well. So, you know, you, you've not just got the finances, you've not just got the the kit, you've not just got the time aspect or the responsibilities oh, or the options, you've got the safety of being yeah. in a wild space to even you know when, go and um, take that photo in the first place. You know when women often get asked, what's your, what's your default defence? You know, and people, you know, they talk about, you know, oh, it's nice to go for a walk in the dark sometimes. And, and a, a raft of women say, uh, you've got your keys between your fingers and things yeah, yeah. like that. My default reaction when I'm on my own and I suddenly feel vulnerable if there's a couple of men or a guy and to all the guys now who are going, oh, that's not fair. You know, we're not all like that. And we just feel like that. I'm afraid we feel like that. Mm -hmm. My default is I take my I take my SD card out of my camera, stick it in my back pocket, and at least that way, if I get mugged for my camera, they haven't got my pictures. And I, that is something I do very, very frequently. And it sounds mm. a bit nuts. It sounds like it's like yeah, that extra there's a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, you do. There's a thought well, process. No, I, I mean I I get it from a you know I live in a city. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know I'm a man, but I still mm. get that. I can imagine why you do that as a woman mm. walking at night. Yeah, I know I it's not going to save me. I mean, the amount of times I've actually I've brandished my, you know, I've got hold of my camera as if to, you know, well, that's the first thing that's going to land on his head if he comes anywhere near me. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll go for the know, drop kick first. Yeah. <laughs> I think which is the hardest bit of my camera? Is it the back bit or the front of the lens? Which one's going to make you know make him drop first? And it's awful. But I think there's probably any any women that are listening to this will probably go. I've done, yeah, I, I get that thought process. You, you, you prepare yourself. You have a, you have a plan A, yeah, B yeah. and C. Yeah, of course, I've, I've felt threatened. I'm very, very lucky to have never had a serious incident or um, uh, anything like that in a nature reserve when I'm out on my own. But I am increasingly worried about carrying thousands and thousands of pounds of kit around with me. I would never mm. carry one of those huge lenses around with me on my own. I'm a sitting duck. How can I defend myself? Yeah, that makes sense when you when you say it like that as well. When you do get these, you know, these people, these guys with their big lenses, and they sort of look at you, and you just think you've got no idea. You're so lucky to not have to have any idea. Yeah.
I was going to say, I think I'm going to make a statement now. <laughs> I feel like this episode, Gail, we've just gone back and forth to make statements. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, this, we can be, this I be bold. Think, yeah, just be bold. I think a big onus here is on, obviously, white men to recognise this privilege, middle-class white men to recognise it and to challenge it. And I think there is also an onus on the corporate camera companies. Um, and there are some that are doing really, like, they do have their ambassadors and they are improving the diversity there but that is one step right there, there's other things that, that can be done whether it is starting in-house charities to, to support working class and marginalized groups in having kit and mm. getting out there and having groups and have it being safe in these environments mm. if it drips down from the corporations so if you know as an example if if canon said right second-hand kit that we are not going to be selling we're going to be giving away to charities that can be mm. shared out and stuff like that in inner city environments can you imagine the take-up that would have can you Absolutely. imagine the yeah. change that would have within mm. a community mm. if black and asian people children anything w were able to have some kit for a couple of weeks and just get used mm. to using it Mm. or they could go for grants or they could go mm. for you know all these opportunities that could happen mm. and mm. for you know if any for for women for for single mums for working mm. class people of all kinds mm. to be able to have that opportunity just like middle and upper class people mm. have that opportunity with the cash wouldn't it be lovely if if these <laughs> middle class white men were to give up some of their time to go and help with these community projects with all their kit yeah, it'd be nice. <laughs> We're a dreamer on Into the Wild, Gout. We like to dream. I can't go and see the redneck phalarope today. I'm going to help a community project. Oh, brilliant. Oh, God, Wouldn't that be great? That would oh, be a Labour government. That would be, be a Labour... <laughs> right, anyway. Um, <laughs> last question of the podcast, Gail, is mm. if you could pass on one thing to people to try and connect with the natural world, what thing or activity or whatever, what would you pass on? Oh, thanks for that. It's all right. <sighs> Everyone gets it. Oh, I think I'm probably going to loop around to what I was saying before. Just try and see it through... See the world through nature's eyes. Just try and imagine mm. what it's like to be that little grasshopper or that bee just trying to get through the day. Just try and empathise more. I like the thoughtful ones. A lot of people say like an activity, like, you know, like go for a wild swim or stuff. I like the ones that are thought-provoking. I can Thank, imagine yeah. being the bee. <laughs> <laughs> just be a bee for a day. Be a bee. Oh. Just be a bee. That's the T-shirt. Be. Go walk through people's picnics. <laughs> <laughs> Buzz and flap your arms. Yeah, just and I think then then hopefully that radiates out to, you know, before you spray those pesticides on those plants, imagine what needs those plants to survive. Yeah. And just imagine how you would feel if somebody came and doused you in bleach or something. You know, that's that's all getting a bit violent now, but we yeah, do I mean... do some pretty brutal, violent things to our natural world. And I think, you know, the, the, the well, a lot of us, don't you feel, Ryan, that a lot of us that do love the natural world are kind of super empathic and really do feel how yeah. other things feel. And I think that's what makes us sort of more in tune because we do have yeah, that I empathy. I do agree. I do, I do agree. I, I'm agreeing whilst hearing all my friends go, what, he's a take a galore so i think like you know they're not gonna they're not gonna always see the empathy. but you are right yeah i am and i, I am I, I i am great yeah <laughs> if that's how you want to end the show girl i'm more than happy to end it on that <laughs> excellent Gail Ashton, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a lovely chat about inset photography and photography in general. Thank you so much for being Thank on. Thank you. Um, and all, all the best with the rest of your week. Thank you very much. I need to put in a little little tiny plug for my book, if that's all right, because Dominic will kill me in. if I don't. Um, so, go. <laughs> no, very quickly. So, um, yeah, so I've been working with the inimitable and remarkable Dominic Cousins on uh, on some books. And we, we published um, the Guard, uh, Guide to Garden Insects last year, which hopefully will help people empathise with the world. But we've got another one coming out, which I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say, but it's going to be amazing. It's about all about the insect year. It's called the Year of Garden 
Bugs and Bees or Bees and Bugs. See, it's that oh, new. Nice. I haven't even got the title right. So, yeah, um, it, yeah. yeah, so Dominic and I have got that coming out. So I'll be working on that for the rest of the week. Thank you very much for letting me say that. Much for having me. Thank you so much. No worries. It's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.